you have your copy of God's Word, take it and turn with me once more to the book of Daniel. <coughs> Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. If you're just joining us, we've been walking our way through this wonderful book of Scripture. Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. Hear now the word of the living God. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, "Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out. On the desolate. This is the word of the living God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of His word. Lord God, now we pray that you would give us aid, illumine our understanding by the Holy Spirit, help us to see Christ the Messiah clearly, convict, exhort, guide, and comfort us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not often the case that when you open the scholars and the commentaries on a passage of Scripture that you read words something along the lines of, this is one of the most debated passages in all of Scripture, period. Or something along the lines of, scholars disagree on how to interpret this kind of a passage, period. And yet, beloved, I think before us today is a quite clear word of the living God. There are, of course, many godly men, scholars and pastors who will see the various interpretations as options. But I think as we begin to read and understand what is before us, we'll come to understand exactly what it is that Daniel receives from the living God and specifically as an answer to his prayer. 
He notes, if you recall, in verse 20 and 21 that he was praying. Last week we saw this prayer. Daniel praying for his people. For the old covenant people of God. Daniel praying, as the scripture says, for Jerusalem. Now why would he do that? Well, if you're just joining us, Daniel is a Hebrew in covenant with God. Looking to God's promise to send the Messiah. But Daniel is living at a time about 500 to 550 years before Jesus would be born. So 2,500 years ago. He's living at a time when the Hebrew people, as a consequence of breaking covenant with God, as a period of judgment, are sent into exile. The Babylonians come and they crush Jerusalem. They cart off many people. And take them to a foreign land. And Daniel lives just about his entire life as an exile. And we, throughout this journey, have made common connection. Because the Bible in 1 Peter says that you and I, as Christ people, are kind of like exiles in a world that doesn't look like the kingdom to which we belong. So Daniel is praying. He's come to understand through the prophet Jeremiah, through the scriptures, if you will, That this period of exile is going to be about 70 years. He's towards the end of that 70 years and he believes the word of God and he prays. He prays earnestly confessing sin and confessing the sins of his people. And God answers. If you're a note taker this morning, I just want us to see two simple things. God hears and answers his beloved children. And secondly... God comforts with news of Christ. You are not Daniel. I am not Daniel. But this pattern is a pattern that we see today. We pour our hearts out to God. We read his word. We believe it. We lay our petitions before God and he hears us. And so often, like Daniel, he comforts us with news of Christ. He reminds us of what is to come. As people who belong, people who will be saved by Jesus. So let's first look then at God hearing and answering his beloved. Verse 20 says, while I was speaking, praying and confessing. And notice the content. He's confessing his sins, but look what it says at the end of verse 20. And presenting my supplication, boys and girls, that's a big word for presenting before God what I need. Laying out my needs before God. Presenting my supplication before the Lord my God. And then here it is, for the holy mountain of my God. That would be Jerusalem. The place where God made His presence known among His covenant people. The place where the Holy of Holies was. He's praying for His people and for Jerusalem. Verse 21 then tells us that God sends an answer. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, this is the angel, Gabriel, that we saw in a previous vision, has come to give another vision as an answer to the prayer. Daniel, you are praying for your people and for Jerusalem. I, the living God, have sent my angel to tell you an answer to your prayer. This is important. This helps us to understand the context. What is Daniel praying for? The end of the 70 years, and he's praying for his people and for Jerusalem. So Gabriel is sent. And notice what time Gabriel arrives. Now this is interesting. The scripture tells us 
by the word of the Holy Spirit that the angel Gabriel reached him at, quote, the time of the evening offering. This would have been the daily burnt offering back in Jerusalem about 3 p.m. every day. Now, Daniel is not in Jerusalem, nor has there really been a daily burnt offering in decades. But notice how Daniel is counting time. One scholar made a point to say it's almost as if Daniel is still on the time of the worship of Yahweh. He still marks his days as if there's a temple, as if there's sacrifices. It would have been about the time of the daily evening offering. Isn't it interesting that it's likely been 50 plus years and Daniel still marks his days by worship. I wonder what it would be like for you or for me to be in a persecuted land, to be carted off to a place where you couldn't go to church for years. And every Lord's Day, as you're praying secretly in your cell or away from God's people, would it occur to you to think, I was praying at worship time, was praying on the resurrection day of Christ. Daniel receives this answer from the Lord. But Gabriel says, here's why you've received an answer. Here's why God has heard you and answers you. Verse 22, I now have come forth to give you skill to understand, for you are greatly beloved. What a precious word for Daniel to receive. Daniel, the one in exile. Daniel, the one far away from Jerusalem. Daniel, one of the few faithful ones of God's people remaining. Daniel, the one who will hardly ever see the land of God's presence. You're beloved. It's the same phrase that is used in the next chapter regarding Daniel. Actually, the Hebrew word there could be translated very much loved or precious. It's the same Hebrew root word as the word covet in Exodus 20, 17 in the Ten Commandments. Not that God covets but that Daniel is in a position of God viewing him as precious. So he says, Gabriel that is, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now before we get to the answer, don't lose sight of the fact that Daniel receives an answer. God has heard his prayer. And friend, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you are in Christ, God hears your Prayers. He doesn't send the angel Gabriel to you to give a new vision of revelation as an answer. But he hears the prayers of his people. Do you understand how blessed you are that even though Gabriel will not say it in your ear, you are the beloved of God in Christ. He considers you, Christian, precious. And you have access to to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he hears. And he answers. Well, God hears and answers his beloved children. But secondly, and perhaps a little bit more of a challenge, is our second point. And that is God comforts with news of Christ. God comforts with news of of Christ. Again, what is it that Daniel was praying for? He was praying for his people and for the holy mountain, for Jerusalem. 
that central place of worship, that central place of God making His presence known to His old covenant people. Now I want you to just look at how this is laid out. Verses 24 to 27. This is the vision. Much has been made of these so-called 70 weeks. Let me just tell you at the outset, these are not literally weeks. Boys and girls, how much is a week? Well, it's seven days. But picking up on the kind of imagery that is often used throughout the Bible of sevens, and picking up on that period that marks our calendar, a week, Daniel gets a vision. I want you to look here. Look at verse 24. Let me read it to us. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. That's the answer to his prayer. He was praying for the holy city. That helps us to understand what's happening here. And then notice, verse 24 is giving a summary of the 70 weeks, of all 70. And what happens in these 70 weeks? Six things. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to make an end of sins. Number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy. Number six, and to anoint the most holy or most holy place. Now that's the summary. The next few verses are going to take parts of that and explain them to us in more detail. But we've been given the summary in the first verse. This is often how literature like this works. The book of the Revelation is like this. You'll get a picture from one angle, and then you'll get a picture sometimes from a different angle or a part of the whole. That's what's going to happen. Verse 24 gives us the entire summary. We don't have to wonder what's going to happen. What's going to happen in this 70 weeks? Well, by God's plan, somehow related to God's people and the city of Jerusalem, sin is going to be atoned for. The most holy place is going to be transformed and there's going to be everlasting righteousness provided and prophecy is going to be made known and be made clear. We said that God comforts Daniel with news of Christ. So let me tell you where we're going and then let's walk there together. Verse 24 offers a picture of the entire 70 weeks. It gives us that glorious summary, and it's all about Jesus. Verse 25 offers a picture of the first part of that. We'll see in just a moment. The time that is the closest to Daniel. Verse 25 there says, there will be seven weeks. And 62 weeks. Scholars debate why the division. But there seems to be a picture here in verse 25 of the early part of that 70 fold. Okay. Verse 26 gives a broad picture of the final week. Look at verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, that is the 62 weeks coming after the 7 and 62. After the 62 weeks... Messiah shall be cut off. Boys and girls, who is the Messiah? Jesus. When was Jesus ever cut off? 
He was cut off for the sins of his people on the cross outside Jerusalem. The place that Daniel was praying for. Okay, verse 27 also gives us a picture of the final week. But notice here that week we kind of zoom in on it and it's divided in two. Look there. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week. So we've got we've got a, a zoomed in picture of that final week. Revelation, the book at the end of the Bible often does this, doesn't it? Gives you various cycles. Sometimes if we don't interpret those things as belonging together, we'll start to make all kinds of pictures of these cycles. What do we have in Daniel's 70 weeks? Chapter 9, verse 24 tells us, in these 70 weeks, the temple is going to be altered. It's going to be clear what God's vision and prophecy is, and sin will be atoned for. And 25, 26, and 27 tell us how to get there. Some of you have been a part of this, maybe at your company, maybe in previous churches. You'll be in the midst of a building project. And an architect will come in, sometimes to try to sell you on the project, but sometimes you've already hired him or her, and they're coming in to kind of explain to you what it's all going to look like by the time that it's finished. And what do they do? Boys and girls, big people play with Legos too. The architect lays out in front of you what? Kind of a model. This is what your new building is going to look like. And you see it, and they sometimes put it in a little plastic glass kind of thing, and everyone in the building, in the, in the business, or the church, or whatever it is, can see. This is what's happening. All the dirt out there, and all the bulldozers, it's all, this is what it's going to look like one day. Well, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, gives you this is what it's going to look like. And verses 25 through 27 are all of the construction dirt of how this unfolds. Okay? So let's walk through it. Why 70 weeks? Well, in Hebrew, the phrase is literally 70 sevens. That's what it literally means. There's a period of 70 sevens, likely referencing years, but using the symbol of seven, which is so often utilized in Scripture. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, it says weeks. It's got to be literal weeks. But you see, prophecy and apocalyptic writing doesn't work that way. But the Bible doesn't even really use seven that way. Uh, Just a couple of examples. Leviticus describes the Jubilee as seven weeks of years. And Pentecost was described as seven weeks of days. What we have here in Daniel's vision is just a heightening of that same kind of imagery. Seventy sevens, not ten sevens, not twenty sevens, but seventy sevens. The fullness of time, Daniel, to answer your prayer. What's going to happen to your people and what's going to happen to your holy place in Jerusalem, Daniel? The entire thing, seventy sevens. That's what's happening here. I know many of our translations render it weeks and that's fine. But think, 70 periods of seven. Now, for those of you that are mathematically inclined, if you multiply 70 by seven, 
you get somewhere in the neighborhood of 490 years. I just want to put this out there to you. What would happen about 490 years after the command of a pagan king to go back and start rebuilding Jerusalem? Artaxerxes I. What would happen about 490 years after that? I'll tell you. A Jewish carpenter from Nazareth would start his ministry. Now that ought to send alarm bells off for you. Because what is the summary in chapter 9, verse 24? What's the full 70 weeks? Well, something's going to happen with sin. Some kind of an everlasting righteousness is going to be provided. We're going to understand vision and prophecy more clearly than we have before. And something is going to happen to the most holy place, the temple. Well, these figures, of course, can be interpreted literally or figuratively. But don't forget Daniel's prayer. And the angel's vision. This is a period of time, quote, for your people and for the holy city. This is what Daniel has been praying for. And God provides an answer. Well, let me then give you the model. Verse 24 tells us all about what Jesus is going to do in his ministry and in that final week of his life. There's a division, though, in that final week. We'll see that in a moment. Verse 25 tells us about the time period that's going to happen closest to Daniel. Namely, Jerusalem is going to be restored and rebuilt. The streets will be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Daniel's already seen troublesome times in visions, hasn't he? Antiochus Epiphanes is going to come several hundred years before Jesus, but after Daniel and wreak havoc in Jerusalem. But still, the temple will remain. The streets will remain. The walls will remain. Verse 26, after this period of 69 weeks, the seven and the 62, Messiah shall be cut off. Somehow the Messiah is going to be cut off, but for other people, not himself. And then in verse 27, we receive the news that this Messiah will bring a covenant in that final week. And as a part of that final week, there's going to be desolation again in the temple. The temple will be destroyed. So those of you who are sitting there wondering, okay, I, I want us to walk through this, but what is this saying? Daniel's 70 weeks are this. Jerusalem in the next 490 years will be rebuilt. There are going to be troublesome times, but the city will remain until the Messiah comes and lives a perfect life and dies on the cross for sins and provides an everlasting righteousness and then, as the close of his ministry, the temple will be destroyed. Daniel's final week, that final period of sevens, is about Jesus dying on the cross and ending Jewish sacrifice. There's no need for the slaughter of animals anymore. Christ is the final sacrifice. So once again, Daniel's 70 weeks are not, brothers and sisters, about that which is to come in our future. We don't need to try to interpret all of the various persons that are going to come and camp out in the Middle East in our future. 
Daniel's vision is about his people and the most holy place. And God tells him from your time until Messiah dies, this is what's going to happen. So let's walk through it then. I, I can't explain to you how encouraging it was to meditate this week on verse 24. Look at the comfort that Daniel receives in Christ. Daniel, you've been praying for your people and for Jerusalem. Here's the full period of time, and here's what's going to happen. Notice these six things quickly. Number one, to finish the transgression. Somehow, Daniel, there's going to be an end of sin. Sin committed by God's people. But number two, there's a similar phrase, but it says to make an end of sins. How is that different than to finish the transgression? Well, this could literally be translated to seal up sins. I think there's a subtle difference between these two. The work of the Messiah to come in the 70 weeks is going to be a work in which eventually the product will be that the sins that you, Christian, commit will be finished. You wrestled with sin this week? You find yourself sometimes in your conscience struggling deep to your core because you love Christ, but you still love the remnants of your sin. Daniel receives the precious promise that as a part of the work of Messiah to come in this 70 weeks, the result is going to be that one day Messiah's people, God's people are through and finished with sin. It's done. There's a limit. Think about this, Christian. One day, Christ is going to return. And you will be with Him, and you will stop sinning forever. The transgression will be finished. It will be over. You know, one of the glories for Christ's people is the reality that heaven forever and ever and ever will be you not sinning because of Jesus. The end of transgression. But notice the second phrase, to make an end of sins. But here, in the original, this is to seal up sins. Do you know that the sins that you want to stop committing are sins which held a claim over you? They held a claim over you. And for the lost in the world, they still hold a claim over them. They've committed sins. So they deserve God's righteous judgment. The only reason that you don't deserve God's righteous judgment is because Messiah was cut off for you. So these two phrases, I think, are slightly different. One has to do with the fact that there's coming a day because of the work of the Messiah to come during this period of Daniel's 70 weeks. There's going to come a time when you stop sinning and the sins that you used to commit will be rolled up and sealed in a scroll and Christ will hold them in his hand, having completely dealt with them all. Daniel, you want to know what's really going to happen in Jerusalem? You want to know what's really going to happen surrounding your temple? I'm going to send a priest who will be the temple and the sacrifice forever. Well, there's a third thing, isn't there? 
to make reconciliation for sin, not only will Messiah make it so that the transgressions, the sins that you commit will be done, Daniel. The sins will be sealed up and you will no longer have them holding over you, Daniel. But you will have complete atonement for sin. You'll be restored to right relationship with God, Daniel. And isn't that what the scriptures say that Jesus came to do? Isaiah 53.10 or Acts 10.43. Look over there with me in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Acts 10.43. There we read these words. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. That is Jesus. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission, forgiveness, atonement for of sin. Some of you came in today and. You were invited because someone who seemingly was religious and had their life slightly more together than you invited you to church and you thought, you know, I need a little church in my life. I need to be cleaned up. But in your soul, there is a mounting reality. Sometimes you're aware of it a lot of times that you aren't. And that is that you are at war with God. And you will always lose that war, but it is a war currently that is raging in your soul and it is tearing you apart. And that war is that the one thing that you need most, God, is the last thing that you pursue and desire. You feel in your conscience the weight of sin sometimes. It might go by other names to you. Here, in answer to Daniel's prayer, God says through the angel Gabriel, one day Messiah is going to come. He's going to make an end to the sins that you commit and the weight over them. He's going to provide atonement. See, here you sit, friend, separated from God. And the one thing you need is for God to provide atonement for you. To just clean the slate. To wipe it all out. And that's what God has done for every sinner who ever trusts in Him. He provides the eternal atonement for sins. Quickly, the fourth thing. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Christ brings everlasting righteousness. He lives a perfect life in the flesh, obedient to God's law, and he dies paying the penalty for sinners. So that if you trust in him, he is your righteousness. Not you, but him. In the book of the Revelation, there's this picture where messengers of God are inscribing, as it were, in the sky, the reality that there is an everlasting gospel, a righteousness provided by God. Daniel gets a picture of that banner early. Five, to seal up vision and prophecy. I'd love to linger here. Bottom line, 
during that 70 weeks, it's going to be clear who the point of every prophecy and vision ever was. It'll be Messiah. And number six, to anoint the most holy or the most holy place. The temple that you're praying for, Daniel, the center place of my existence among your people, Daniel, will be radically changed. And as the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22 says, just like the priests used to sprinkle all of the furniture in the temple with the blood, just like there were sacrifices year in and year out to make that most holy place ceremonially clean, so shall Messiah come in that 70 weeks, Daniel, and sprinkle the temple with his blood. You know who the temple is? Christian in the New Testament? He is, but you are. Daniel's 70 weeks are what God is going to do in Christ. Well, verse 25 gives us a picture of the first few years. What are those first few years going to look like? Well, they're going to be a period of about 500 years between Daniel and Jesus. And in verse 25, we get a picture of those first 69 weeks What will happen? Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of command to restore and build Jerusalem. So there's going to be 69 weeks or 69 periods of sevens starting with the command to restore and build Jerusalem. You can read of that command in Ezra chapter 7 where Artaxerxes I orders the rebuilding of Jerusalem. What's going to happen during this period? Well, it says to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. So this seems to indicate that stuff's going to happen before Jesus comes on the scene. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And what's going to happen? Jerusalem will be restored. The streets will be built and the wall, even in troublesome times. So verse 25 gives us a picture of those 69 weeks. Now, yes, if you really like to interpret things literally, go ahead and do the math. Sixty-nine times seven gets you from Artaxerxes' command in 557 B.C. till about 27 A.D. What happened in 27 A.D.? John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what happened. 69 sevens later. But what had happened prior to that? Well, Jerusalem was ready to receive its king. The old covenant temple was ready to be radically transformed into the new place of worship for God's people, Jew and Gentile alike. I'm getting excited. Here's the building, the architect's text says. This is the 70 weeks. Here's the first part of the construction. Jerusalem's going to be restored. Streets, city, temple. That's the 69 weeks. Well, let's look at verse 26. We get the final week, don't we? We get it broadly. Verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Well, brothers and sisters, we don't have to go searching through Google, through the newspaper. We don't have to look at the New York Times or Fox News to try to figure out what's being spoken of here. 
Messiah shall be cut off. Gabriel's message was about Jesus coming. But notice, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the prince of the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So in this period of 69 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What does it mean to be cut off? Well, in Old Testament language, places like Leviticus 7, verse 20, to be cut off would be to be removed from God's people. To have sin on you and to be separated. Isaiah 53, 8 says that the suffering servant, Messiah to come, Jesus, would be cut off. In Old Testament language, carrying sin and separated. This is clearly a reference to Christ's redemptive sacrifice. But lest we get caught up in all the math and in all the debates about prophecy and how to interpret this, good and godly men will say this is about the future. I think, along with many others, that this has to do with the period between Daniel and Jesus' work. Lest we get lost in all of that, think about what was just said about Jesus, the Messiah. He will be coated with sin and separated, cast out. This was the penalty for sin under the old covenant. And brothers and sisters, Christ followers, don't lose sight of the fact that you are in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. You know how you're there? Because your sins are what are coding the Christ as he is separated and cut off for you. You're there. You're in this prophecy. Messiah shall be cut off, but what? Not for himself. That raises the question, then for who? For you. Now the word prince is used of God and of Jesus. In verse 26 we read this phrase, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Some interpret that as there's going to be another lowercase prince who's going to come and destroy the sanctuary. Others interpret that as, no, the prince is Jesus who is going to crush the temple in 70 A.D. as a judgment upon the Jews who rejected him. Either way, in God's sovereign dealings, Christ is Lord of these things. I tend to take this little prince as the general Titus, who within a generation of Jesus in that, quote, final week of Daniel's 77s crushed the temple. And if you go to Israel today, the stones are still lining the streets. And you might be thinking to yourself, if you're somewhat religious, but how are they going to sacrifice? The stones are still here. They need a sacrifice for sin. 
the ending of the temper, and all of its sacrifices comes after the final sacrifice is made. Well, we then zoom in just a little bit in Daniel's prophecy. Look at verse 27. Then he, that is the Messiah, who was cut off for others, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out a desolate. Quickly, confirm a covenant here speaks to Christ's ministry, his death, his giving of the new covenant. Not literally, but symbolically, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper there shortly before he was betrayed, he's in the final week of Daniel's 77s. Right smack dab in the middle of it. What does he say to his disciples? This is the new covenant in my blood. But then it says, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. This could be Jesus' death on the cross means that no more sacrifice and offering is needed. Or it could mean that in addition to this, the temple is going to be crushed. The very end of our verse, verse 27, says that there is going to be one who comes and makes desolate. If Jesus of Nazareth died in about 29 to 30 A.D., within one generation of his death, a prince of the world by the name of Titus, who would eventually become emperor of Rome, sacked Jerusalem and crushed the temple. So, Daniel, here is your model of what's going to happen. I'm going to answer your prayers, Daniel. I've heard you because you are beloved. You're praying for your people, God's people, and for the most holy city. Here's what's going to happen. Within 490 years, Daniel, that city will be rebuilt. The streets, the walls, the temple. It'll be rebuilt. There's going to be difficult times, and you've already seen some of that, Daniel. But in that 490 years, it'll all remain. And then on that last week, Daniel, Messiah will be cut off. Yes, Daniel, the one that you've been longing to see. He will come and he will be cut off, but not for himself, for others. He'll make it so that there's no longer a need for sacrifice. And Daniel, all of the sins of God's people will be rolled up in a scroll with his seal stamped right on it. He will be the answer to all prophecy, Daniel. He will end the temple. Yes, a pagan sinful ruler will come and crush it, but you don't need an earthly temple anymore. Because he will be your temple. He will be your priest. He will be your sacrifice. So your prayers will be more than answered. Because forever, there will be a holy of holies. And Jews and Gentiles, for ages for eons, for eternities upon eternities, will enter in and out of the presence of God because Jesus shed his blood. And you know what you need here today, friend? You don't need to get caught up in the math of Daniel's 70 weeks. 
You know what you need here, Christian? You don't need to get caught up in the controversies about how to interpret whether this is past or future. Each of us need to see the glories of this phrase, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And we need to be bathed in the glorious reality that Daniel's answer to prayer was, Jesus will bleed for you. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You've never heard of the book of Daniel, much less a man by the name of Titus or Artaxerxes or Gabriel. You need to understand that just anywhere you open in the Bible, we happen to be open to this page, but anywhere that we open up in the Bible, there are major and minor glimpses of the same exact story. God forgives sinners by sending his son to die. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Praise be his glorious name. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have not sent Gabriel to answer our prayers. You've ultimately sent the Son to accomplish Gabriel's word so that when we pray, wherever we may be, it is the comfort of the gospel that we have. Help us, O Lord. These are, of course, challenging verses to understand. And yet, when we understand that they come through the pages of Scripture, it is that same glorious message from a different angle. That you've saved sinners. And for reasons unknown to us, but your purpose and love for us, you've drawn us in. So may the fruit of Daniel's 70 weeks in our souls this day be that we rejoice yet again that Messiah was cut off. That there is no temple needed anymore. That we are the gathering place for your spirit, the church, the bride of Christ. That we are a holy people, a royal priesthood. Comfort us now, we pray in Jesus' name.